I don't think DJ, you're terrible. Um, welcome to the show and episode 136. Alright guys, uh, back again. Um, so again, like I tell people where I find everybody, Podmatch again. Um, and, you know, I, I know sometimes I stay within the, the disability realm, but uh, and we'll kind of get there to a certain extent here. But uh, when I was reading our next guest's bio, just, there's a lot of hard stuff in there. And I love how honest she is. And, and you know, she's been through a lot of stuff. It, it, it's really disheartening and, and frustrating that someone has to go through what she went through. But she's still here, and that's kind of the, the point of it. It's, it's You don't know how much a person can take until you see someone like her who has a story and you go, okay, shit, like it's possible. Um, Because sometimes we get into some really bad places and we just think, oh, okay, like I can't get past this. And a lot of times you do get past it. And again, uh, you know, sometimes you don't. People, there's a lot of people that aren't alive right now because they couldn't get past whatever it was. And that's fine. That, That is what it is. You can't, you know, you can't begrudge those people for what they went through. But, uh, there's some of us that are somehow still holding on. Um, so I wanted to share her story. Um, so you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself? Uh, yes. Thank you for having me. My name is Jacqui Merle, but I go by Lady J. Everybody calls me Lady J. So, (laughs) um, everywhere. And I am a mother, an author, a speaker, a bounce backologist, a master bounce backologist. A business coach, media personality, serial entrepreneur, and community servant leader. But um, before I'm any of those things, I'm a servant first. So I love serving people. I love helping people. Right. That's, yeah, that's, it's a big thing. We were just kind of talking off mic, just how screwed up the world is. And it, it's good that there's still some people out here that are trying their best to put some energy, some good energy, positive energy into the world, however they do it, because there's, we're lacking it. And there, mm-hmm. There's a lot of good people that are succumbing to the negativity and falling off the wagon and just, they're like, well, what's the point? Like, look at, look what's going on around us. Why, why do I care? Um, it's, right. it's, it's nice to see that someone like you is just still trying regardless, especially for what you've been through. Yeah. <clears throat> so where do we, where do we start with your journey? I mean, I guess we kind of start with, you know, what you were like as a child and kind of, maybe the innocence part of you before it got really bad? <laughs> well, uh, my journey started actually very, very young. Okay. So like three or four. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's when everything started. Um, I mean, I'll just give you a, a, a summary, sure. a timeline summary. Sure. So um, at four, I was taught how to, well, me back up. I was born into a household with a mother and father who were both um, on drugs. Uh, crack cocaine was their choice of drugs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, they smoked marijuana as well. And my dad was an alcoholic as well. Um, and it was a very toxic, tumultuous, and violent environment. Sure. Uh, fighting domestic violence every single day. And I am the oldest of three children. Um, we're all a year apart. Uh, so at four, my father taught me how to cook crack cocaine. 
And at five, I became a fatherless child. My mother left my father and um, my father was absent. So until I was 30 years old. Uh, at 11, I was I was raised in the church. Um, mostly by my grandmother and then once my mother was my father, she she started going to church trying to get her life together. Um, but she had still was dealing with a lot of demons and um, you know, wasn't mentally strong enough or emotionally strong enough to face those. So at 11, I was stripped of all my Christian values and I was forced to convert to the nation of Islam. Uh, at that age, also I was molested at a stranger's house and I was told basically that it was my fault by my mother and someone from that uh, mosque. And uh, then at 13, um, I lost the only father figure that I knew, which was my grandfather. And I became a runaway at that time. I was running away from home a lot. Um, and at 14, I was diagnosed with a severe case of endometriosis. Um, and I was told I would never be able to have children. Um, and I tried to commit suicide for the first time at the age of 14. Can we? I, I want to go over. I want to ask a couple questions about some of these things because we'll get mm-hmm. so far down that I'll forget. Um, okay. One of, one of the things I wanted to ask something that I learned, and, and it's, uh, I don't know why I have to tell you, this, but I but I am white, and I say that for a mm-hmm. reason. So I, I have a lot of people in my life that I genuinely love and care that are many different colors. My sister is Hispanic, mm-hmm. and, and I have a lot of friends that are mentors that are black. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I learned about because especially with with pedophilia and you know, a lot of it, you, you know about it. It's very prominent in the white community. It, it's it's out there. But you, right. don't, you don't hear about it in the black community until you dig deep and you realize that, like, two million black girls go missing a year. And mm-hmm. you, you hear a lot about it, but it, it's so protected. And it, it, it's it's a very, you know, it's, it's not to just point it out that, you know, oh, it's, you know, oh, you want to talk about the racial angle. It's, I'm only bringing it up that it's, it's you don't hear about it. And someone right. like you who gets caught up in it, you know that it happens and you know that you're not the only one that it happens to, but it's really sad because, um, like I said, it, it's a very, I mean, sometimes black people cover up some things that, I, mean, I don't know why, I mean, yeah, I don't know, do, do you know why that is? Like why it's so hush-hush it, in that community? It's been programmed, it was programmed into us during slavery. So okay. there's such things that's called cultural trauma. Okay. And in this, in this country, um, because we are not natives of this area, Right. Um, when we were brought over here, we constantly saw our men and women raped, you know, in front of us to keep us from, you know, running or them splitting up our families and things like that. So when you constantly experiencing trauma after trauma after trauma, those things get passed down generation, 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 you programmed and there's, you know, the Jim Crow, uh, laws, those are still alive and well today. But that's why our mindset as a collective is not as, I'll say progressive as other cultures. Right. Um, and so that, that's where that began um, because then we were, you know, we didn't have a choice but to be quiet and sweep things under the rug and not say anything, you know? Yeah. So. Makes a lot of sense. I've always wanted to kind of ascertain where that came from because it, it's, I, again, mm-hmm. I, I've had friends that kind of said similar things to that. And, and, but I, I don't mm-hmm. have any black women friends in my life that have gone through what you went through. So I never really had, mm-hmm. a, I've had male friends that know of people, but I've never really had any female friends that actually went through it. So I never had a, the right person to talk to about it. So it makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of stuff comes from slavery. And I know people hate it. Like, Oh really? We're going back that far. But a lot of the stuff really is programmed and, and, and you don't, you <laughs> don't, don't think about it because you didn't go through it 
Exactly. Or exactly. You don't realize like some things are in your gene pool that mm-hmm. come from your family. Like I've, I've, I have certain racist people in my family. And there's times where, you know, I'll see somebody do something, but whether they're black or whatever, and then I'll get this feeling in me, like why they're annoying me, but I'll have like a really dark feeling about that. I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with me? Like, and, and I, yeah. I, I'm smart enough and I'm, I've, I've had enough experience that I can check myself and like realize how stupid that was. But you realize mm-hmm. that some of that racist shit or some of that stuff that comes from deep down in your gene pool that like you never knew was there. It just comes out in random moments. And I guess this is unfortunate. This is, I mean, usually it's never bad or never good, but um, yeah. What people yeah. fail to realize though is it's still alive and well today. Yeah. I mean, if you cage a lion, from you know if you capture a lion out in captivity and you keep him in a cage long enough you can open up the cage and he won't come out because you've already programmed his mind that if he tries to escape you know um then you'll reprimand him or something will happen or whatever the case may be it's the same thing with with black people we have seen since the pandemic or since trump wasn't when trump was in office just how prominent racism really truly still is out there People just weren't as bold with it as they are now. Um, And it just looks a little bit different than, it's not as, I'll say, um, physically, um, it's not as physically oppressive as it was in slavery because we don't have like the chains and the whips and, you know, being sold like property. But you see it in healthcare, how we're treated, you know, in stores, you know, just in, regular neighborhoods we're not even some people feel like oh you don't belong here because you're black you don't make enough money you know if you are you're not black you're not african-american you would not begin to <laughs> you would not begin to understand what it's like to live in a world or live in a society one that we built but we are not welcome does that make sense you know like yeah. by a lot of people and so yeah. it's good to have allies on the you know in the caucasian community um, to address that and say, hey, like, that's wrong. It's, it's not enough just for us to be like, hey, you know, that's not okay because we don't hate people just because of their skin color. And now it's difficult for us to trust those of that um, ethnicity, of the Caucasian ethnicity, because of what we have consistently experienced in this society. Well, I think some of that stuff, I think some of it, it came out when it wasn't supposed to because, yeah, like I said, we live in this, like, politically correct world where we've kind of taught people to not tell the truth because if you if even Mm -hmm. if even if you have some moment in your history uh of you saying some words or you did something even Mm -hmm. though you made a lot of changes in your life you're still considered a racist or you're homophobic or you're something nowadays even though it's the littlest thing you did back even if it was horrendous or whatever it was in your past Mm -hmm. so now like we get to a point where there are people that are just like yeah, they're racist, but they're not going to say it, or they're not going to be as bold as they used to be because it'll they'll mm-hmm. lose it, they'll lose their job or or whatever. And you'll see it in many different cultures, not just white. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't want to just stay on that. Just I just was I was just super curious yeah. about it because it's it, it you, you know there's some stuff that comes out and you go like okay you know some people own certain things. It's like okay you know black on black crime that that's something that it's like you know you can't really right. hide that even though it's not talked about enough by anybody, mm-hmm. but. The, the the pedophilia thing was something that's because I, I mean again I have Spanish family members and we all know that there's at least one uncle that's touching some kid we know in the white right, community right. we know in a lot of communities but the black community was one that was very hidden um, mm-hmm. but one thing I wanted to know about your mother was your again from what you know 
Was was your mother ever into drugs before she ever met your father? Because a lot of times it always ends up the mom, the, the, the um, female getting into it because she met a guy who pressured her into it or just. I, I don't think so. I'm, I don't quote me on that, but I don't think so. I know my father, he he started um, being addicted to drugs when he was in middle school. So he's been a drug addict for all his life. Um, with the exception of about five years, he was clean um, from the time I was 30 to about 35. So, um, and that's when he decided to reach out to me. So I knew who he was and what he looked like, but I didn't know him, you know, so yeah, sure. he wasn't around. But, but yeah, so um, I don't think she was, though. Right. Um, now, w- when you had to become Muslim, was that, that wasn't by your choice, right? No, it wasn't by my choice. Okay, it's um, the way you put it, so I figured so, that way. Yeah, it wasn't about my choice. Um, my grandmother was my mom. And, and you'll understand what I mean by that as I continue my right, story. Right. But um, she instilled um, God in me. And she used to read the word to me and explain it to me um, every day. And I didn't really truly understand. Like, I knew who God was, but I didn't understand what it meant to have a relationship with him or how to tap into what it means to let him help you or lead you or guide you or, you know. Mm-hmm. I say things of that sort, of course, because I was young, you know, as a kid. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that is what was um, ingrained in me. And she taught me, you know, things of, you know, integrity and how to, how to carry yourself and things you shouldn't, shouldn't do, you know, things of that sort. So right. um, when, uh, when my mother was my father, you know, we had a few men in and out of the house. And then um, I know I'm jumping ahead, but uh, she ended up, bringing in a man that was a violent registered sex offender in three states. And when she found out about it, she didn't care, even though he was abusing um, one of us in the household. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, I mean, that's, it's one of those things you hear. I remember I used to live in Philadelphia and there was a, there was a big scandal of uh, the Catholic churches, a bunch of uh, priests were touching kids and whatever. And then you found out that they've been doing it in like three other States and they just pat, they just traded them off. Like, Oh, well, all right, we'll just get them out of here. And you just like, uh-huh. how did like, this is, this doesn't end. Like they don't go to jail. And again, of course, you know, you're young and naive. And you, you, you think that, of course they just go to jail, but it's like, no, it doesn't happen. And it, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, some of them do eventually, but it, it's, it, it's, it's amazing how you can get away with something so heinous for so long. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I, before, before you continue, you, you know, where you were going with your direction of your life, uh, the the condition that you were that you developed. Can you tell people what what that is and and how it affects you? The endometriosis. Yes. Okay, so um, basically, it is a abnormal growth that you have. Um, it begins on the uterine lining of your uterus, um, and it can spread and cause extreme. Um, complications with like your intestines people have to get their intestines removed and i mean it can just wreak havoc uh in your body and it's extremely painful very painful and um at 14 when i was diagnosed with it I, mine was so severe that they wanted to give me a hysterectomy at 14 um like they didn't see anything helping so um at that time you know my mother was like well i want her to be able to have children should she you know choose to so um there is no cure for it and um, it can lead to cancer, like ovarian cancer and things of that sort. So yeah. uh, I had surgery and then I was put on a treatment 
And once that treatment stopped working, they increased the treatment, like doubled the doses, and then to the and that's the maximum of what you can give someone, especially a child. And um, and when once that stopped, then they had had a choice at 19 to either get a hysterectomy at that time, or I had I had to at that point try to have children. Luckily, I was engaged at that time, so um, they put me on some meds to try to help me get pregnant. But they did inform me that if I if I did that, then I would have like very high risk pregnancies. Um, it would be difficult for me to carry, and I did. Um, so they were very difficult. So they gave <laughs> so, yeah. you a, so they gave you a timetable when you can actually have kids, and you had to get. It. Well, I, I wasn't expected to have children. Like there was an eighty percent chance that I would never have children. But right, right. Um, when the treatment no longer was working, there was nothing more that they could do for me. So and they I already had the surgery too. So they were just like, either you have to get a hysterectomy right now, or. Um, and I was 19 at the at the time, and they were like, um, "We've done all we can do from the time from 14 to 19 now, so you either have to get a, get a hysterectomy, or we can put you on some medications, and you need to try to get pregnant to see if. And if that doesn't work, then we're just going to go ahead and, you know, okay, um, I see. Get so, you, so it was yeah. just kind of fortunate and lucky that you were actually with somebody and you were okay with having a child. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That worked out for. Okay. I wasn't ready, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to, at 19, you know, you want to, and I was engaged. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to be married. I got a few years where I can have kids. And right. <laughs> but I, I was forced to have it right to try right then and there. So, yeah. Right. I got you. All right. So you can continue. I'm sorry. Continue on your time. I just didn't want to go too oh, no, far. You're fine. I didn't want to go too far down <laughs> and then have 30 questions and then forget half of them. So, um, so about 14 and a half, um, life had just got, extremely difficult you know I was dealing with being molested never got help for that I wasn't allowed to talk about it It, you know I was being blamed for it I was only 11 when it happened and then I was enduring a lot of verbal abuse at home by my mom by her significant other at the time um threat um you know and, and then I became the protector and the mother of my siblings my mother just stopped being a mother so helping with homework you know, combing hair, taking up for them, you know, trying to tell my mom, like, hey, this is wrong, all of that, dealing with abandonment issues, and so, um, and then those medical issues, and this is a time, too, where I was um, given Vicodin to control my pain um, for the endometriosis, and then I became addicted to, to that prescription drug, so it wasn't just me now taking it um, to help with the pain. And for those who don't know, like I was on a very high dose of Viking and Viking is a very strong narcotic mm-hmm. um, medication. Um, and so I was popping them to numb now the emotional pain as well. Um, so I became more like depressed and very angry. Um, as time went on, I dropped out of all of my extracurricular activities at school. School use was a way of escape for me. Um, I was a straight A student, very talented, track student council. I was in the show choir. I was a headline singer. Just that was my my world away from like my fantasy I could escape to. Um, so um, I I started dropping out of some of the extracurricular activities. Um, I tried telling people, tried telling people about the abuse, tried reaching out. Nobody believed us. Nobody believed me. So my mother's very good at being one person behind closed doors, another person in front of people. So. Do you know why you uh-uh. didn't? You don't like you. Do you have like a real theory on why they didn't believe you? 
because you know people can can believe you know my mother she kept us one thing she did do i will say she kept us fed she kept us um we looked really nice every time we went out she kept our hair done and then once i was old enough i did our hair so um nobody believed that she that she was who she was behind closed doors. Nobody believed that she would allow those things to go on. Now, when you, I'm nobody sorry, believed that she, when you reached out, did you reach out to people like within the family or like therapists at school? Like who did you reach out to? Um, so yeah. Oh yeah. I told people in the family, nobody believed me. Yeah. Okay. I even I, told my grandmother and I wasn't upset that my grandmother didn't believe me because my grandmother's very old school. You know, she's from the baby boomer, you know, right. so she was from the baby boomers era and, um, she grew up too. Well, those on this house stays in this house, and I knew that she loved me. But at the same time, um, my grandmother was very big on respecting your elders. You don't call your mother a liar, and also the kind of stuff, you know. And my mother, like I said, she was very good. She had everybody fooled. Um, and I'll tell you how it came out and how people found out at, uh, as I continue. But yeah, I was um, just wondering, yeah, like, if just, you reached out to anybody outside the family, whereas maybe it'd be like some um, sort of therapist at school or something that maybe they would be more likely to take on your story than a family member who might just go, well, your mom doesn't do that. Look at her. She feeds you. She takes care of you. Like you're just making this shit up. Yeah. No. So the only people we, well, we tried to tell people like at the mosque too, so at people who are not family members, they didn't believe us either. Mm-hmm. Nobody will listen. Right. So, um, and then at 15, I was raped um, by a school mate. Um, he had just graduated from high school. And uh, then I tried to commit suicide two, uh, two more times. So, Can you say um, that? The first time I tried overdosing on pills, mm-hmm. and that didn't work. And the second time I tried stabbing myself in the stomach with a fake knife. And the last time I drank cleaning fluid. Wow, you tried all the um, other than shooting. Yeah, and each time, method. yeah, I just knew the cleaning fluid was going to work, but my friend, she found me, and her and her mother um, called poison control. I wouldn't tell them what happened or what I took, and they were saying that they were going to call my mother and let her know, it was like, you can't die here at our house. You can't die on our watch. So um, I let them call poison control, and they, like, helped them through it. They got a, um, an ambulance there, and yeah. So that's how that went. And then um, did you, shortly after that. I'm sorry. Did you, after, after like second or third time, did you just feel like you're just meant to live? Because I mean, I mean, I, I attempted to kill myself at one time. But, I mean, you can't even kill yourself now. Like even that's got to be yeah. frustrating. Like Jesus. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was very, very, cause I was like, I just want the pain and this is getting worse and worse. And it's, I just can't take it. And I was a kid, you know, and it was a lot. And, um, no, I had that hadn't come across my mind yet. Okay. Um, I just, at this point, I'm just kind of like going through the motions now in life. And, um, shortly after that, my mother dropped me off at the Children's Bureau here in um, Indianapolis, Indiana, um, with all my things in a trash bag. And she told me she couldn't take care of me anymore. Um, told me I was coming in between her and her puppy because I was the kid who spoke up who protected my siblings, who told her when she was wrong. And she didn't like that. Neither did he. They argued about me a lot. So um, she decided that she didn't want to be mother to us anymore. She raised us as far as she was going to, and she didn't care about what was happening to us. So, um, Mm. 
then uh, when I got there, the people, that's what she told the people. She told them that, you know, I was rebellious and wouldn't listen. They didn't even believe me. I'm telling them what's going on and what's been happening for years. They, they're like, she didn't tell them I was a liar and everything. <laughs> so uh, my youngest sibling, um, she was like having a fit. Um, I, I don't even remember how long I was there, probably like a few couple of days. And she came back to get me, but when she came back to get me, she told me I had to leave the house. So I was homeless at 15. I had to pack all my things, had a friend come and pick me up, and she put me out the house. So, um, was there other abuse? To, I, was there abuse to your other siblings as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, there became I, I became like withdrawn and and very isolated. Um, then I was taken in by my cousin. She was only 21 at the time and she had a, a newborn child, so she couldn't take care of me. So I had to get up a job to take care of myself. And, um, so yeah. And then at 16, um, while living with her, uh, I went from being really self-isolated, like really, um, closed off and reserved to being extremely promiscuous. And then I became a sex addict in addition to the being addicted to the the prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I equated people using my body to love. Like that's what just continued happening to me. You know, I was used to people coming and going, coming and leaving it, or not, you know, wants to make me feeling not feeling worthy. And um and then I was kidnapped at sixteen and raped. I was held against my will, um, for hours. I don't even remember how I made it home, but I remember every single thing that happened to me. I remember what he had on. I, to this day, still remember what he looks like, what he smelled like, everything. And walking home from work one night, I was kidnapped and raped. And um, I blacked out after, I remember, um, once it was over, I don't remember from that point to how I got home. But I do remember walking in with my clothes, like, in, not together and crying yeah Yeah. and um my aunt at the time who was living with her daughter as well they lived together she was asking me what took me so long or what happened to me and i wouldn't speak i wouldn't say anything um so um and yeah so at that time you know i felt like that was like the the straw that broke the camel's back that like really killed the innocence in the little girl in me so at that point i just gave up everything um Nobody noticed. I stopped doing everything that led to it. I was in, in a sense, it silenced me. Mm. So, um, and I was taught that these things that happened to me are my fault, were my fault from period age. So I didn't say anything because I thought that I would be like in trouble, that mm. like I was going to be blamed for. You, you can, know, you it happened. You can really see though, because it's like it. It you, know, you talk about like your innocence being stripped. I know, I know exactly what you mean, and it's really, it's it's it's, it's amazing because you know, being born in this world, you're super innocent and vulnerable, and then you you have family and friends and whoever, especially your parents, are supposed to take care of you. That's if you're lucky enough to have two of them. But in your case, you had both of them for a while, for a little while, and it didn't mm-hmm. do you any good. And and it, it's how life changes you because it you know, again, you're innocent and just mm-hmm. what you do with that child is, is up to you. It's the same thing with an animal. Like you have them and it's like, it's your responsibility to take care of this child. And then all people have done, because one, one of the things I brought up with my mom and she told me about when I was a kid, she's like, listen to the, you know, listen to all the adults because what they say matters. And then you find out that most of the adults are full of shit. 
and and they take yeah. advantage of you and they yeah. hurt you and they yep. screw you because I was molested in school mm-hmm. and I was abused and bullied by teachers and other things. And you realize, like, again, there are plenty. Of course, there are a lot of adults you should respect and they're great people and whatever, but there's so many that are just assholes um, mm-hmm. for more than one reason. And in your case, you had, I mean, you kind of are the extreme. You're the, the it's like the worst case scenario, but there are a lot of people like you, especially women that have gone through this. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really sad because, yeah, your innocence, I mean, the fact that you had any innocence even up to 15, 16 is amazing because you should have had, should have lost it when you were, you know, before you even hit your teens because of how much had happened to you. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's amazing how you see some of these kids out here who are lost in any way, no matter what culture they're in, race, whatever. And you see, they do something so terrible and yes, we, we tend to write them off, whether it's a kid who shoots up a school or where a gangbanger doing whatever they're doing, selling drugs and all that. It doesn't matter where mm-hmm. what side of the track you end up on, you realize that like it's how life brought them here. And they don't they're not born what they are. Yes, maybe right. you know, certain conditions and stuff that screw with them, sure, but in general, they're not you're not born just you know, you weren't just out there promiscuous because and wanting sex. Right. You were sixteen, you don't mm-hmm. know shit. You don't know anything about right. life. You, but even though mm-hmm. you, you knew more about life than most people at that age. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you're lost and you're, you're trapped and you're just all screwed up. And, and like I said, it, it, it's a real parallel of showing from how much from an average person who just go, gets up and has a nice childhood. And then you see someone like you who goes through the ringer of everything. And it's like, of course, like, why the hell would you mm-hmm. have any innocence left? And you haven't even yeah. made it to your 20s yet. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when I was, let's see, at 19, um, I, I, I'm, you know, I met a young man at 17. So once I graduated high school, <laughs> it's the thing, I, I graduated high school, um, still, um, and, um, with a 3.7 or 3.8 GPA, I believe. <clears throat> um, and I met a young man, we got together, uh, we got, um, let's see. We got engaged when I was nineteen. Yeah. Uh. So at that time, my mother, she would, my mother and her husband now, the men who, like I said, was um, and she's still with to to this day, <laughs> who was a violent rights sex offender. Um. Yeah. They t- they used to call me all the time and taunt me and harass me, leave messages and also as well. Um. And repeatedly told me, like, I was nothing. I would never be nothing but a whore. Never be nothing that could to lay on my back. Nobody would ever want me. No man would ever, ever going to love me, like, all the time. Yeah. And um, Did you ever think about that when, when they would say that? Because in some ways you were kind of proving them wrong, right in, in the moment when you're being promiscuous mm-hmm. and all that. Oh, even even till now. Uh, yeah, that has stuck with me. Yeah. When... Some things depending upon, as I tell people, words have power when it comes from somebody who you revere or somebody who is, plays an important role or who you are like deeply emotionally right. connected to. Even if you don't really um, love them, like like just because the fact yeah. that she's your mother and that like that title mm-hmm. means yeah. something. Even if you hate her mm-hmm. and think she's a horrible person, yeah. there's something she, she, her DNA is inside you. So there's something about her that when she right. says it, 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 it triggers even this, this many years later. Yeah, and let me just say the weird thing about me is you would think after 
um, all the uh, verbal, um, physical, sexual abuse and um, abandonment and homelessness and addiction. And all that. You would think that I would be a very bitter and mean and angry and nasty person. And it's so hard for me to do. I cannot, I do not hate my mother. I still, I still love her. I don't have any animosity towards her. I forgave her when I was 16. Um, my godmother, she taught me what forgiveness truly was. And I understood that I couldn't move forward until I did that. And it was difficult, even though I was still going through some of the same things, still struggling with depression and everything else I was dealing with, but I had to forgive her and then try my best. For a while, I stopped trying to commit suicide because every time I tried, it wasn't working. So I, I had to like figure out a way to cope. So I wasn't really going through a process of healing. I just had to figure out how to live with everything I was dealing with and cope with it. And being addicted to drugs and sex and and um, pretending that I was okay and all kinds of stuff. That was my way of coping. That was my those were my drugs of choice or my tools of you know coping. So. Um, from 19 to 23, I was in a domestic violence marriage. So that, and I gave birth to two of my children. And the last time that I tried to commit suicide was when I was 22, right before I left him. Um, and it was in front of my six month old and one year old child. I was getting ready to split my wrist. I made a phone call and told his mentor to come and get my children or, or um, yeah, to come and get my children. Cause I didn't want them to be in the house with a dead mother. And um Do you have a lot of guilt over that? Just, uh that particular suicide attempt? Because um, of them being there and all that. Guilt and... guilt No. At first, yes. And the reason I say that is because I had an encounter with God that set me on the path of, of true healing. Um and I would not be the mother that I am today, and they would not be the children there that are today had that not happened to me. So um, he called the he called the um, police, of course, nameless. When I called, and I just hung up the phone. I had to walk to a payphone to call him to tell him that. And by the time I got back, and because I was like literally, it was almost like I was standing outside of myself and like looking at me sitting on the floor. I had been crying, I know, for a good probably two or three hours nonstop. My kids were just screaming and hollering. I could hear them, but they sounded like so far away, even though they were right in front of me. It was so crazy. It was kind of like something you see in a movie. Yeah. So like, it, like, my, like it was some... like my soul left my body and yeah. I was watching me. Yeah. Like yeah. In, in movies or TV shows, sometimes it's like muffled and, and, you, and, you, and you think that's bullshit. Yeah. You think it's just doing it for effect, but that is like a real thing that happens where voices you're so distracted and you're so out of yourself that you don't really, you can't really hear anything. Even loud noises can be yeah. a car alarm could be going off and it doesn't, it doesn't affect you because you're just right. You're in another trance, right. like a trance. Yeah, exactly. And when I got into this relationship, I was looking for somebody to save me. So I didn't even know who I was. And that was the worst thing I could have ever done because to be honest, it was so bad that I would rather have been abused over and over again like I was in my childhood and in my teenage years than to go through that ever again. When I say the level of domestic violence, people, when they think of domestic violence, they think only physical. No, I'm talking physical, emotional, verbal, everything that you could imagine. Some of the things that I share in my book, you would be like, what? Somebody hit that in real life? Somebody, <laughs> like it, it's, it's just, and, it, and that is, doesn't even tell the whole story, but 
I got to the point where like my, I I had a, not just an emotional breakdown, but like a psychotic break or something. So um, they came in right when I was, had the knife to my wrist and they strapped me to a bed um, at the hospital, took me to the psych floor. And so I spent 24 hours there on suicide watch. And in that moment, my husband came. Um, I would not talk to anybody. I was just silent, you know, just crying, just silent. And, you know, he came up to the bed and was like, is this because of me? And I just turned my head away. And, um, you know, so a voice said to me, you know, why do you keep trying this? I keep telling you no. Hmm. You know, and, and so what are you going to do? And then he said, do you really want to leave your children in this situation, do you really want them to go through the things that you went through? And it was in that moment I decided, okay, this is my reason to live. I don't care what I have to do, how long it takes, I'm going to do it because they deserve it. And I told myself when I had children, because I couldn't and I really wanted children, I really wanted like a husband, kids and all that kind of stuff when I was a little girl. Because I didn't have a family when I was, you know, when I was coming up. So, um, I told myself that I wouldn't be the mother that I had. And so that, that was kind of like my wake up call. When you got to remember your and, children are a blessing because again, 80% chance mm-hmm. you weren't even going to have them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And I was bedridden my very first child. I was bedridden for five months. I was, um, it was very, very, um, hard. Um, they had me on a monitor for her heart constantly. She had a bunch of heart problems while I was pregnant. So it was all of my babies are miracle babies. So yes. Um, so yeah, so then I just decided to leave my husband when he was gone to work one day. Um, yeah, and I never looked back. I left everything. The only thing I took was hard clothes and there's toys. That was it. Everything else I left. Um, and then at 24, I entered into another domestic violence relationship. So that's that cycle again I was talking about before. I grew up in a household where there was nothing but domestic violence. And now I'm in domestic violence relationships and not even realizing that I'm repeating the cycle. <laughs> so, Do you feel like you're um, looking for something in these guys that... Oh, yeah. Was there, was there, was there a, I mean, obviously, there's a pattern, but I mean, do you, do you mm-hmm. realize late now in hindsight, like, what that oh, pattern yeah. was that you were looking for? Was it a father figure? Or? I was looking for love, and I was looking for, um, I was missing that male, the love from a, from, a, from a father and from a male. So I didn't have my father. I never knew what it was like to, to be loved um, by a man, like my father or any you know, and as I got older or any man and every, cause every man that I had come in, con- in contact with outside of my grandfather, um, I mean, I'm only speaking about those men that I was around like a lot, like my uncles, I saw them every now and again, but mm-hmm. you know, I never knew what it was like to, um, um, no, everyone that I came in contact with, they just abused me mm-hmm. and used me. Well, you don't realize you know, like so. how much the balance of a mother and a father, like a female and a mother oh, perspective, yeah. like what it does for you. And when you uh-huh. don't have one, I mean, especially when you, you definitely, uh, of the gender that you are born as, you definitely need that person. Like as a man, you need a father figure, a boy, you need a father figure, but you still need yes. that mother figure there to show you uh-huh. what's right and what's wrong. And, and, and you need both guidances to teach you how to get through life. And, and you're obviously missing the father. I mean, you're, you're really missing both, but uh-huh. you're, the, the constant pattern in your life is definitely screwed up men. Cause that's what you did. Yeah. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. and of course your father didn't help any. 
and you're just yep. chasing yep. this. And that's why you, you hear so many of these women, especially young girls, are so screwed up. And you, you hear the kind of the typical, oh, they must have daddy issues because the dad wasn't there. They didn't, the guidance that they were supposed to teach you and show you what men not to chase and, you know, what, what it's like, you know, to be a woman from a man's perspective. It, it does matter right. when, when it's genuine mm-hmm. and, and, you know, legit. So, yeah, I understand. Absolutely. Um the 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 next man I I got with him he tried to kill me and our unborn child. Um, then at twenty five I entered into yet another domestic violence relationship, and then I found myself having to had the difficult decision to have an abortion. So um, it was a seventy five percent chance that I would completely bleed out on the table if I tried to go full term. So I, I tried to carry that pregnancy as far as I could, and I got an abortion during my second trimester. Um, because my body just wouldn't, it would not, um, it wasn't going well at all. Um, at 26, that I became homeless with three of my children. Um, and I was pregnant again. Um, so I was, uh, had one on the way and, um, yeah. And that was, I ended up getting married to that man. We had a, there was no domestic violence relation, domestic violence marriage. Um, at 29, I went through a divorce. And I lost everything. Um, I, now I was homeless with all my children. And my husband at the time, he, uh, yeah, he, like, went into my account, took all my money, tripped all of the money off for the bills, and I had no clue. Um, and everything was in my name. So I literally lost everything. We had nothing. And um, I was hopping from place to place. I let with people just to have a place to stay. Um, and then at 30, that's when I decided to finally give, I, I decided like, okay, I have to do something because I can't um, keep, continue like this. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying, you know, you make, you make um, progress in certain areas of your life, but then other areas are still lacking or you make progress and then you get knocked back 10 steps. You know, you, when it's kind of like going through rehab and you keep relapsing and you, but you get up and you try again until you get it. And that's how my life was um, during mm-hmm. all this time. And so I don't know if you ever had a real chance to grieve and, and process everything because it, I mean, yeah. you, you see nope. it, it's almost year to year. I mean, there's a, maybe a year mm-hmm. in between some of these incidences, but you never really had mm-hmm. a chance to just be a child. You never had a chance to be a teenager. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that you even had a decent GPA is, is great because it, it was your escape, but I mean, you never had a chance uh-huh. to really be anything. And then you, now you're just an adult with three kids and, and you got all this abuse and all this going on. And you're just like, oh, now I'm homeless again on this. And maybe you're used to it, but it's not something you should be used to. Like you should be used to right. being raped and, and beaten and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and suicide. And these are things are not, you're not supposed to just not, oh, okay, that's just my norm. That's not, that's not what it's right. supposed to be. So yeah, I mean, you get to a point where you have to eventually just grab yourself by the collar and just throw yourself against the wall and go, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, are we just going to keep yeah. going yep. down this path of destruction <laughs> because you do have three yep. kids and it's like, they're going to just mm-hmm. repeat what you're doing. And at some point right. you have to take onus. Yes. Your mother screwed you up. Yes. Your father screwed you mm-hmm. up. And yes, all these horrible men screwed you up. But at some point you have to take responsibility and go, all right, I'm just being, I'm also, this is my problem that I'm just not dealing with. And I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not trying to solve an issue. I'm just, you're kind of just being like you're on autopilot and you're just living life and yep. it's not a good one. Yep. And that's where, where it hit me when I was 30 years old. That's when I decided that I would like give the healing process a hundred percent. And I started to do the work. Like that's when I really got into 
one, I knew that going to therapy was not going to help me. I, I was always be um, very interested in how the mind works. And I've uh, done a lot of research and understanding that therapy for most people, um, they only helps once you've gotten past addressing the root of the issues, because um, there is some internal and spiritual work. I don't, I don't care what people believe in. You can believe in the sun, you know, as your God. I don't care who it is. Right. Everybody has this driving force that they believe in that's higher than them or this being that's higher than them, whatever that may be. <clears throat> and if you're going to truly heal, you can't just um, focus on the physical or the natural aspect of things. There's also a spiritual component. <laughs> so um, for me, it was doing the work spiritually and really getting down to understanding what it was to have a relationship with God. And that is what started that for me. And God, you know, told me to write my story. And so I did in two weeks, I wrote two books and that was my, the first, uh, first part and second part of my story. And little did I know that in writing that it just flowed out of me, but it was so therapeutic and it was a part of the healing process. And the one thing that I never spoke of when I was kidnapped and raped, I was made to put that in the book as well. And so um, at 32, I released that book and then I was publicly dragged across social media by my family because they didn't like the fact that I was telling the truth, telling my truth. You know, um, people don't like to be exposed or certain things to be exposed. They want things to be you know, remain hidden, but I couldn't do that anymore. And then that's when I came into understanding that everything that God allowed me to, to go through, even though I didn't ask for it, I didn't do anything to deserve it. Um, he allowed me to go through that. It was necessary so that I could not only be able to identify with other people that are going through so they know that they were not alone, but also so I can obtain some tools um, to share with them so that they can come out of it as well. So that's when I realized, okay, this is what my purpose is. I am, I am the living, breathing example of God's love for us. And I am here to teach people how to bounce back. And so that's, that's where that came from. And then, you know, now, you know, I'm 39 years old. Um, after that, you know, I met somebody else. I thought it was, you know, I thought he was, he, he was unlike everybody else. Now, he didn't abuse me or anything, but um, he did hurt me very, very deeply. Um, and, you know, that didn't go well. So um, I ended up suffering a ruptured brain aneurysm at 36. Um, and I wasn't expected to live. Thank God that I did make it. I'm still here. That took me almost two years to completely recover from. I've been in and out of the hospital several times since then. Uh, I've had some episodes, relapse and things of that sort. Um, I have some um, disabilities that come along with that, some side effects that um, some are permanent, you know, um, hopefully as time goes on, I'll be able to hopefully reverse some of those things. I don't, I'm not sure, but, um, and then, yeah, and then my youngest child, she was diagnosed while I was recovering. Um, and let me just say, um, it completely incapacitated me. I could not speak, couldn't talk, couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything, nothing. 
Um, so I had to relearn everything all over again. So I did 18 months of physical therapy, speech therapy, cognitive therapy, occupational therapy. It was, <laughs> it was rigorous. It, it was a very, very long journey. And, um, um, it definitely uh, affected my self-confidence, my self-esteem. Um, I went into a deep depression. It, it, grieving someone that you love, that you lost is one thing. But grieving yourself for who you used to be, that's a whole other mm-hmm. thing because I know, yeah. feeling like you can't take care of your kids the way you, you know, you want to and things of that sort. And I got to a place, you know, once I went through all of those things, I sat down and talked to my kids. They know the things that happened to me, some of the decisions that I made, and they're my kids um, are, they're like me. They're very um, loving, caring, and giving um, individuals. They want to help people. Um, and they, you know, and they understand. And, you know, during that time, my youngest daughter was diagnosed with cryptogenic epilepsy. And so she has psychogenic and epileptic seizures. Um, so, yeah. And um, is that weird, though? And like, so now? For like everything you've been to, like, it's got to feel like surreal now because it's, it's someone you have to protect. And now they're going mm-hmm. through something, maybe not as her, you know, as horrendous as what you're right. going through, but it, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the, again, you, you see, now you get to see kind of, you know, something that came out of you. So a young version of you, and it's surreal to see someone mm-hmm. who's so vulnerable, but now they're kind of something horrible is come happening to them. And of course, you know, she should, I'm sure she'll survive and it, 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 she'll be okay, but she's going to have right. a lot of challenges and, and, you know, and you got to see, especially having to learn how to talk and all that, you know, people treat mm-hmm. you differently when you're you know, on the outside perceived as broken, not even just the mental part of it, but like when you're, when you have a disability, people treat you differently anyway. And again, I know you have the racial component you're a woman and other things, but mm-hmm. it's different because it's, it's like people automatically look down on you. Like you can't do anything because you're, you're, you know, that's why they call it disabled. It's you're, mm-hmm. you almost don't, it, it's, you don't work, which it, it, it's a really shitty term really. But um, it's got to be pretty surreal to see like your daughter now having an issue, even if it's not the worst case scenario, it, it's something that it's, it, it's gotta be, I mean, I'm sure you've gotten to point to deal with mm-hmm. it, but it's gotta be kind of sad to see someone just so innocent. It's like, Oh, now you have oh, yeah. problems. Yeah. It's, it's, it's difficult when you can't help me. You can't, there's nothing you can do as a mother anyway, you know? Um, but now, you know, um, uh, because I've had much practice on forgiving people and, um, all the different uh, tools and and um, coping, uh, I say coping strategies while in transition with something. It's it's like secondhand nature to me now. So, um, and the level of faith I had then is completely different than the level I have now. So it's like now, okay, God, well, whatever you got, I'm I'm rolling with it. So yeah. I know people say you know the level of threshold, the threshold. Um, for the level of emotional and physical pain I have has been absolutely crazy because nobody should be sane or living that has endured. And that's just a summary, you know, of, of my life story. But now, you know, I have, um, I have four beautiful children who do well in school. I am, you know, I have, uh, I own three companies. Um, I, um, serve, uh, I mean, people from, all different walks of life from celebrities all the way down to your, you know, homeless community. And, um, I've had the pleasure of, uh, speaking and being featured on multiple different, you know, platforms, radio stations, TV events and things of that sort. So, um, I thank God for everything that I have been, uh, I'll say able to go through 
because I grew through it. And I understand, like I said, that it was necessary. A lot of people say, well, how do you, how can you say that? No, a lot of people are like, what God would let a kid go through that? And I'm thinking to myself, if, if there is a, a thing that's good and evil and for balance and evil people or things happen to good people all the time and someone is struggling, how are they going to get through it if nobody has a blueprint? Yeah. Like, we don't get to pick and choose. Now, some of us don't have a choice. Like myself, okay, I know that I'm supposed to be here for something. He would not let me die. Most people, they try to kill themselves once and they succeed. I, I even He even allowed me to have a ruptured brain aneurysm and that was because I was doing way too much <laughs> for way too many people and trying to be everything for everybody, you know, and I, and I couldn't. Um, so, um, if I never went through that, then I would not be able to help other people who are experiencing those same things. Like they wouldn't have a blueprint. They wouldn't have somebody to help them along the way, just like anybody else who's ever been through. I know my, my story is a little bit different yeah. because I've been through a plethora of things, everything yeah. versus somebody just dealing with alcoholism or somebody just dealing with domestic violence. Like I've been through it all. So. Well, I'm sure you, you could agree that, you know, like for me, I do this because many reasons, but one of the main reasons is, is because I don't want anyone else to have to go through the shit I had to go through to even get to where I'm at today. And if you don't mm-hmm. talk about it and you just leave everything silent, the stuff never changes. And yeah, maybe, right. maybe your one voice doesn't make a huge difference, but it makes a difference. And if you, if you mm-hmm. just don't talk about it and you just, you know, like we've talked in the very beginning where, you know, it doesn't come out in the black community that, women are just disappearing and, and, and if you don't talk about it, then it's like, it doesn't, then it doesn't exist. It just, it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, even just like how nowadays they're rewriting certain stuff just to just kind of cover up how hard slavery and, and the Holocaust and yeah. cover up just like they're yep. taking stuff out of books and, and all of this mm-hmm. and we don't get to, so we just act like it doesn't happen. And you know, we're still, we're removed from it cause we didn't go through that, but we're close enough to, you know, know somebody who knew somebody and it's close enough to know, have some experiences that are similar, but the, the next generation, they're not going to learn anything. Um, you know, you, it, even if you talk about in music or something, you mentioned somebody who to us, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a little younger than you, I'm 33, but mm-hmm. you talk about somebody, an artist in the nineties to them is like, who the hell is that? And you yeah. mentioned, and then you mentioned somebody who, it was in 2005 they might not know who 2010 they might know who the hell they are so the more we we separate ourselves and we don't talk about it and we don't make a difference there's just there's no change there's, it's just we don't learn and we just continue to stay in the same stagnant kind of like where you were in your life you're just going in this path that just there's nothing uh-huh. happening and it's just destruction and it, it's it's you have to if you're gonna if you're gonna put your story out there and you're gonna try to help people you got to make sure you just you're doing it for the right reasons and you gotta, you gotta, uh-huh. if you're not helping people, it's, it, and you're not putting out any positive energy. It's, you're kind of wasting your time, especially for someone like you who has a calling because you know, uh-huh. you weren't allowed to die. And I, to me, I think the best thing about you just, just getting to know you in this hour is the fact that you're able to laugh and smile, which is like, uh-huh. it, it, it's <laughs> easily understandable that you wouldn't. Because of the shit you've been through, because so much evil has been brought upon you, you could just be like, "Fuck it, life sucks," but that's not mm-hmm. who you are, and that's like that's like ultra powerful for for someone like you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, I definitely agree. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, and and you see, because like what you were talking about earlier about how like how much anger you had. You're just going out into the world. You know how many kids go out, and that's why these kids shoot up these schools. That's why all the gangbang and shit mm-hmm. happens. These kids are just angry because they don't have any guidance. They don't have parents. They don't have somebody to just put their hand on their shoulder and go like, "Hey, man, like knock the shit off," or "Hey, this is how you do it." So you're just going out into mm-hmm. the world angry, and yeah, and you're you're causing chaos, whether it's to yourself or to others. You're just doing shit, and you don't know what you're doing until you get to a point where something changes you and just says, Hey, like whatever, whether it's God or whatever it is for you, it was God, but mm-hmm. for others, it's something else. And they just go like, look, cause this is like, this is like, we're not going anywhere. We're just continuing to sink. And like you were saying earlier, like I always like the quicksand theory because you know, you may, you're going to have these relapses. You're going to have these times where you're going to go a step backwards. But if you continue to progress where you're taking two steps forward and one step backwards instead of the other way around, you're progressing. Even if it seems like it's taking forever, you're still progressing in the, in a positive direction. But it's uh-huh. when you're going the other way is the problem. When you're taking three steps back and you're just continuing to sink and you're taking one step forward and you're not really making much of a difference and you're just ruining right. your life more. And that's that's where people get so screwed up and it, it, it you know, I don't know. It, I don't know where I was going with that. But it, 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 it's just it, it's good that you've made this huge drastic change because you go down this and you, and you get to a point where after like the shitty, like the seventh um, boyfriend who was abusive to you, you go like, Jesus, like when does this become good? <laughs> when does, yeah. where, where's the Cinderella story in this? Cause I know it gets better for you, but it, mm-hmm. it, again, it's also great that you are willing to share all of it too, because you could leave out certain parts and somebody will go like, well, that didn't help me. But that one part in yeah. there may help somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. One quick thing before we kind of start right off, can you talk about like, because what is your take on like with this country and the homeless communi- community? Because I, I, it's a community that's completely disrespected. I, I don't understand why we have so many homeless people. I mean, we, we kind of know, but for a person mm-hmm. who's been homeless multiple times, like, I don't know, what, what's your take on with this country and, and just in general, just homelessness? So, um, one, homelessness should never exist. Right. Um, I, I know I see a lot of people um, most a lot of people who are homeless are veterans. There's no reason why sure. someone should sign up to defend a country and then when they come home they don't have a decent place to stay. Even the place shelters and things that they have for them, I guess while they're in transition, are filthy. Uh, I, I mean, despicable conditions. It is ridiculous. Um, and there is a stigma or a a stereotype about homeless people that all homeless people you know, are bums, they're alcoholics or drug addicts. That's not true. Some people are just down on their luck. And that's why um, my first company that I started was a nonprofit to serve homeless community, the homeless community and families in need because um, getting out there and talking to them, standing out there with them, feeding them, clothing them, uh, helping them get paperwork and documents that they need, uh, giving them life skills and, and job skills and then transitional housing is, is, necessary because you, if you talk to him, one person, one guy, <laughs> he was one of the biggest illustrators um, for the cartoon uh, section in our newspaper, in, in the biggest newspaper here in the in the state capital. Mm-hmm. And he ended up getting cancer and his wife left him and then he couldn't afford his, his treatment. And so he lost everything and then he ended up homeless. I mean, you, you don't know where these people, you know, I'm like, what? You, and you're on the street? You know, it's you don't know people's story until you sit and talk to them. Now, some people prefer to be homeless. They don't, they don't want, they, they've gotten so used to it. Now they like the lifestyle. They don't want to pay the bills. Okay, fine. But the majority of people don't want to be in that, 
in that space. And I think for our community, it's a lot like the mental health field. And I like I, I have a degree in, in psychology. So like I said, I'm all about mental health, but I like to address the the raw and the real of situations. Right. I'm not interested in addressing people's symptoms. When people come to bounce backology, the bounce back program, and they go through and they do the work in order to um, truly be healed and conquer all that they've been through, not just cope with it, but to completely overcome it. Um, that's what I want them to know that there's, that's the end result. But in this, in today's society, if you keep people in that cycle, if you only address the symptoms and you never address the root, then you'll have this revolving door of people that equal money. Yeah. So you have nonprofits and, and mental health services that cause just imagine if people actually had the tools to really dig deep. Now, aside from those people who have severe chemical imbalances, you know, a mental retardation and things of that sort that sure. contribute to certain mental health. But imagine if all of the other people, if you would just take them through the process of addressing the bullet not just putting a Band-Aid on it, but actually doing the surgery to remove those bullets and then all the other symptoms with society. I mean, imagine how, what, what the mental health uh, industry would look like. Yeah, There, there would be billions of dollars lost on, on medications, on the psych meds and all that kind of stuff, depression meds and all that kind of stuff. People wouldn't need therapy 24-7, 365 all the time. Therapy is good. You should, you, everybody, I think, should see a therapist at least once a year. I don't care if it's like for three weeks. Yeah. Just to brush up, you know. But um, that's my take on it. I think um, we forget that homeless people, at the end of the day, are people. Yeah. They deserve respect. They deserve um, care. They deserve to be acknowledged. They deserve, and just want to move them out, move them out, hide them keep moving out further and further. Oh, they're, they're messing up the, bringing down the property value and all sorts of kind of stuff. We'll put them in a place. You're paying all these billions of dollars. See, oh, for instance, during the pandemic, we shouldn't have no homeless people. No, you're giving out, you got money to pay to everybody else. How about y'all put them up in a, in a place? You have all these vacant buildings in, in these cities yeah. and in these states. And instead of opening them up as a city and, having them come in, then they make the process so hard. Guess who those stimulus checks didn't go to. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, why should somebody have to fill out paperwork before they can take a shower before you can give them something to eat? Okay. Sign in, then sign the name. Okay, fine. So you know who you served. If you ever need to contact them or they need something, fine. But showing proof of, of income, I found stuff just to get a meal. Are you serious? Like just to take a shower. They haven't showered in days, haven't eaten in days. Like that to me, that's ridiculous. I think it we, is absolutely ridiculous. I think we vilify them in a way because we want them to be all addicts. We want them to be all crazy and lunatics because we don't want to realize, because we talk about this bullshit in this country about how, oh, you know, if you, you do the right things and you get the white picket fence and all this shit. And, you know, America's great. And yeah, America is better than some, but sometimes it's also by default. It's not as bad as others based on certain things, but it, it's, there's a lot of horrible under siege things that are just going on. And, and, we, we vilify them, I think, because we, we don't want them to just be normal people because that's scary. We don't want to realize that, oh, they made, you know, they made one bad decision. They gambled or something or they did something normal that we all do and they just screwed up. They forgot to pay their taxes for a year or some shit. And, mm -hmm. and you go, oh, 
Oh, well, oh, no, they're all alcoholics. So I, I'm not alcoholic, and I, I've seen alcoholics. They're crazy, and, and or they're dirty, or they're this and they're that. We do that just because we don't want to realize how normal they really are. They're humans. Because some of these people really are so, they've been homeless for so long that they are lost, and they're so beaten down and destroyed that when you use those people as your examples, it's like, okay, yeah, like they, they've been out there, like they've been out in the wild, or however you want to put it, like for so long, people gave up on them like yeah they may not they might not be able to salvage them i don't know maybe but there's a lot of people right now that are becoming homeless it's the one community in the that we don't want to get bigger and and they continue right. because of covid i mean they're getting bigger because it, you know look at inflation and there's many reasons there's all the, the politics and everything that gets involved and they're like i said we look at them like they're crazy and they're these just disgusting people but there's a lot of normal people that are out there and they were all normal at some point, whatever you want to call normal. But these people that mm -hmm. are just, they, they made some people just made some bad decisions that we all do. It's just, some of us don't have to pay for our, our decisions in that way. And right. they're out there suffering. And you know, like I'm, I'm sitting here bitching about how hot it is here in Pennsylvania and I have air conditioning. And again, I mean, we all bitch about things mm -hmm. that are monotonous or right. whatever, but it's still like these mm -hmm. people have to live in that shit. And we forget right. about it. We, exactly. we just go, oh, well, why bother buying a sandwich? Who cares? They're they're crazy. It's like, yeah, but at one point they weren't. At one point they were just a number, just a number, a normal person working and doing their thing and something. And sometimes the, some of the bad things that happened to them weren't even on their, they didn't decide to do it. But just they didn't have friends. They didn't have family. They didn't have anyone to crash on their couch and go, hey, man, I got you. It, 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 and like I said, it's the same thing I like as a person with a disability trying to get jobs and, and work out here. And, you know, I've, I've fought for mine, but the reality of it is, is it's the same thing. We look at people with disabilities like, oh, like, oh, that's it's got some crazy accent. They were born that way. But it's like, no, man, there's a lot of people that just were driving their car and all of a sudden now they're in a wheelchair and they can't walk again. It's something normal right. that every person does. And we, we vilify them. We, we make them look worse than they really are. And I, I don't know, it, it's, it's sad because I've, I've become more aware of, of homeless people and, and understanding because my grandma looks at me like I'm crazy when there's a guy at Walmart jingling a bell and I'll give him five bucks. It's like, dude, I feel, I feel shitty because I, and at night I go home and sleep and I'm not saying that's my fault, but it's like, I go home mm -hmm. to sleep and this guy's out here in the heat just, or, you know, maybe there's a shelter yeah. around, but still he's struggling to live in some dirty mattress and, and whatever else. And some of them have it better than others. I know, but it, mm -hmm. they shouldn't live like that. Like, right. I, don't, I don't care what they look like. I don't give a shit about their gender, race, anything. I don't give a shit about none of that. Like, there's, they should not be living like this. There's no person that should live unless they choose to live. There's people that like to live out in the, in the wild and all that. But that's, that, yeah. that's them. But, you know, it, you know, I don't know. It, just, it bugs the shit out of me because I just, I hate why. Like, we just, it's, it's something we no one talks about. Like, we just ignore them. Like, they're not human. It's like, eh, mm -hmm. they're homeless. Ah, those crazy bums. It's like. Dude, man, yeah. like, fuck's wrong with you? Like, you understand that person could be your uncle? Like, could be somebody you, yeah. you know, that's somebody's dad over there or whatever their relationship. So, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, no, I, re I really appreciate you for everything you talked about. I like, I've really enjoyed, you know, what you've turned into because it's, like I said, I, I, know, I, you, I know you know, you, you, you could have turned into something way worse. It's, it's, you could have, I mean, obviously you tried. You, we could have never had this conversation because of all of your attempts and, um, before we forget, can you promote your books and anything you want to promote? Because I don't want to forget. Um, yeah. So my my life series I took down because I am revamping and adding the science finale to it. And it's going to be entitled, it was entitled Life Support. Um, and then the first book was Surviving Life Worth Challenges and Rehab. But 
Um, I am revamping it'll be out this fall at the end of the fall, I believe. And it's going to be entitled Indestructible. Awesome. And so you'll get to read all the whole entire thing from beginning to end. Um, there is also a book, which is a spinoff. It talks, it's entitled Sexual Healing. That can be found also on my website at ladyj.co, L-A-D-Y-J dot C-O, um, as well as Amazon. And, you know, um, I believe it's available um, online at Barnes and Nobles and things of that sort. Um, also, um, that t- goes in more depth about how people use sex um, to o- to uh, numb pain and deal with issues and things of that sort. And so it goes e- even deeper into um, how I went about that. Mm-hmm. And then there is surviving. No, and, um, there is I Survived Suicide. And so that is a another book as well. And um, everything about me that you want to know, you can go to ladyj.co. All of my brands, my companies are there. If you want to learn more about what I do, who I am, if people want to, you know, um, book me for an interview or book me to speak or, you know, sign up for bounce back sessions and things of that sort. Um, I work with at-risk youth, uh, adult families, um, businesses, all of that. Um and uh, I always like to leave some tips. And so um, for anybody that is struggling with uh, trauma, um, you know, bounce back. Theology has five phases, and that is operation rock bottom, stepping into healing, preparing for the comeback, rebuilding, and then celebrating the bounce back. So um, you want to emotionally undress, you know, get to the root of whatever the issue is. Um, and then you go into forgiveness and letting go. That is always going to be your starting point yeah. for any difficult situation. And then you want to set boundaries and expectations and choosing your relationships wisely, people that you encounter on care if that's business, romance or whatever, friendship. Um, and then you want to focus on then, you know, self-love, self-esteem, self-confidence, self-awareness, um, accountability, being accountable for your actions and the decisions that you make. You can't keep blaming the things that happened to you and the people in the past, you know, um, because ultimately it's up to you to take control of your life and not let it control you. So, um, and then uh, for the rebuilding, you want to, uh, you know, as you go through all of that, then you'll learn how to maintain relationships, more healthy relationships, um, and when to cut those things off. And we walk you through, you know, gaining more life skills, um, how to set goals. Um, and then, yeah, then you just celebrate yourself, celebrate even the small wins and the small uh, victories. So, and I always tell people, um, after all of the hell you went through, the word through is an indication that you defeated the impossible too. New adversities will come, but overcoming them has already made you unstoppable. The favor over your life incomparable, which gives you the right to think and believe I'm possible. That's awesome. Yeah, I well, I appreciate everything you're doing. I, I thank you for coming on. And, and if you honestly, I, you don't have to take me up on it. But if you ever feel like, you know, whether you're sad, you want to hurt yourself, call me. I'm serious. Text me, call me. Oh, yeah. No, I have not thought about that. Good. Uh, since my since the last event, I, that has never crossed my mind since then. That's awesome. So, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, good for you. I'm glad you you made it to this. I mean, it's a long ass journey, but you know, hopefully oh, now yeah. it's all positive and you can just enjoy life and watch your kids grow up and turn into something, you know, 
it's definitely. So thank you again. I really yeah. appreciate you. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Take care. All right, you too. Bye-bye. All right, guys. That was fun. I mean, you know, another journey, man. I think I was thinking of Lindsay's journey when she told me her story and how just it's just one thing after another. You almost to a point where you go like, Jesus, like you want to just like jump in the middle of their life and go like, fuck, like stop. You want to shake them. You wanted to be that one friend they had, or you want to just, there's even a small party that goes like, is this real? Like how fucked up can this get? Like it continues. Like it just, it's a recurring situation. It's like shit. But ah, man, I'm, I'm glad she told it. And uh, just so much goodness in that story. Yeah, so I hope all is well out there, and just please stay positive, man. I don't know. Just take care of each other. I, I, I'm i not trying to be doom and gloom every time I end these episodes, but it's just when you read the news, you, you can't avoid it, and you, you can't not pay attention to it because it, it then you're, you're out of the loop, and you don't know what's going on, and then, I mean, maybe that's good, too. I don't know. But it's just so much, man. It's so much. I I really, like I said, I'm 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 trying my best to be positive. I've, I've been more positive the last couple of days, and I don't know how long that'll last. Hopefully for a long time. Hopefully forever. But I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> but um, but yeah, again, these stories are therapeutic for me as well. So I I get a lot from it. It's not just trying to give something to to world the world or any individual out there who has a similar situation. I, I, it helps me, even if it's a different situation, it, it's to see what someone can go through and realize maybe I have some levels that I can go. Um, cause I doubt myself all the time. So, um, but yeah, man, just dig deep and, uh, keep pushing and keep fighting. And like I said, I, I try to always say, just be positive and, and try to, not, I shouldn't even say be positive. Cause that's hard sometimes, but just try to put some positive energy out. Just do some good doesn't have to be anything elaborate. doesn't have to be this amazing thing. Just something small that you, you can make a small little difference in helps, helping one person a day or just being kind to someone. You can be a dick to 30 people. Can't you be nice to one? <laughs> you know, like just just be kind, man, because it, it, I see so much negativity and so much darkness out here. Just in my little world, a, a, me working and being around people and just new people and just the interactions I have with them. It's, it's, you know, I do a thing where I, when, when I'm holding the door for people, uh, when I go into these rest areas, I'm filling the vending machines and stuff. And I always have heavy equipment and shit. I'm carrying carts full of chips and heavy, like the chip bin is, more, you go, Oh, you're holding chips really heavy. Trust me. When you, the chip bin is full of a hundred, 200 chips, it gets heavy. And then the candy, thing with full of box you know it's a cooler full of candy you know it's, it's whatever i'm not going to explain the whole thing but it, it, it it's a few hundred pounds when you carry especially with the cart and so you're carrying all this shit in and you see no one holding the door for you barely and everyone's talking and smoking and doing their thing and carrying on and they don't give a shit about you and, and half these people don't even want to touch the door because god forbid cooties uh covid cooties um but yet they'll they'll, they'll touch the toilet and go figure um but yeah, and so I do a thing when I'm with my coworker. I, I hold the door for people, and I don't know how many people will go through. Let's say 10 people go through. I will say, hey, Randy, we got four out of six, or four out of 10, meaning four people actually said thank you. It's amazing how many people just look at you like is, they don't even acknowledge you. Like, oh, yeah, all the doors open. Oh, God's working today. Uh, no, it's me. Um, 
so yeah, and Bullet was here for most of the interview, but he, he got tired. And uh, I do want to apologize for everybody who had to hear that stupid yip yap dog. Uh, as much as I love animals, he was getting on my damn nerves. Sorry, I kept muting it to keep him out, but I, you know, when I have to throw in my shit, it, it, it's hard to mute the dog <laughs> who's outside. So apologies for that. Um, but I'll see you guys next week, and uh, hope all is well with everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.